0: It is the Live Life Aggressively Podcast. Got your man Sincere Hogan here and got my buddy Mike Mahler. What's up, man? Hey man, how you doing?
1: Good to be talking hey, to you. Hey, we again. made last week Hey, we made it through blast. a week. <laughs> last week was a blast. I mean it's always fun to talk to you and I think when we're having fun on this, people are gonna have fun listening to it. So I know we have a, a lot of cool stuff to talk about today. And actually before we jumped into some of the topics, we were gonna talk about mental toughness training talk about some of the trends we see happening in our industry, the fitness industry, and then uh, we'll see what how much time we have left over to to just digress and talk about whatever we want to. But uh, I saw a really good movie this weekend called Machine Gun Preacher. I don't know if you've seen that. I've heard about it. I've heard about it. It's good, man. I didn't think it was going to be all that great. It it's based on a true story. It's probably somewhat loosely based on a true story, but I think I think having been to Africa, some of it I think is very accurate. It's about a guy Mm -hmm. named Sam Childers who used to be an ex-con, and then he found religion, and he got very involved with missionary work. So he went out to Uganda and started working with building churches and building housing for people and so forth. But this guy was kind of like – he used to be an adrenaline junkie from just being a criminal and a drug addict and things like that. So he kind of wanted to get into the thick of the issues out there. So he took a little trip up to South Sudan. Which is really violent, unstable, a lot of human suffering there, just terrible stuff. Yeah. And he saw basically kids die and so forth, and that just changed him dramatically. Where what started as just a two week trip to do some missionary work became a mission that he's still working on now. He's been doing this for many years. So he basically went out there and built a church in a community where they could rescue kids that would otherwise be sold into slavery, used as soldiers tortured, you know, you name it, and he yeah. would go out there with a crew of his – with guys with machine guns, rescue these kids, give them a sanctuary. It's a really interesting movie, and it, it, I've been to Africa, as you know, a couple of times, and I know your wife was just yeah. in Uganda recently. So yeah. when you go to these places, it you, – you don't come – you don't leave the same person. It's impossible. You can't see that level of human suffering. And then say, "Oh well, can't wait to get back home and watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians." You know? <laughs> yeah, man. You start becoming very not even not cynical about what you saw there because that changes you a lot. But when you come home and you listen to people talk about how the gardener didn't show up on time, or daycare prices are going way up, or the cable bill's too high, or you're stuck in traffic, you just can't hear it because the suffering you saw is so immense that everything seems like a joke. In the U.S., so it's one of those things where I think everyone should check out this movie. I think it would give you, I mean, nothing, nothing takes the place of going to Africa. Not everyone can do that, obviously. Right. But this movie this movie was done very well in the sense that it's an interesting story. It shows the human suffering in a very realistic way that occurs there, but it's not a gore fest where every five seconds it's like one more tearjerker scene. I think right. it's done a lot better than another movie, that I also like Hotel Rwanda, which I thought was a very good movie. But that movie didn't even come close to depicting what happened in Rwanda. You know, 800,000 people butchered in I know, man. a couple months. And I didn't even realize that after I watched the movie because I, – I watched the movie, and I'm like, wow, that's just, this is terrible. You know, I'm thinking maybe a couple hundred people or maybe a 1,000 people died, something like that. No, you know, 800,000 people. I mean this happened in our lifetime, the worst geno- – one of the worst genocides in human history, certainly within our lifetime. And it's one of those things where you, know, you hear about stuff like this, especially for people who have never been overseas. They hear about stuff like this, and they're kind of – it's almost like it's not – it doesn't even exist because you've never been anywhere. Where you're like, wow, that's terrible, and then you flip the channel on CNN and go back to whatever you're doing. And I'm not necessarily criticizing people for that because I understand that if you've never been to any of these places, and even if you have… I mean, there's only so much that you can focus on it because you'll you'll just drive yourself crazy. Because if you don't have a plan of action on what you feel you can do to help, then you have two choices: one, you can sit around and feel sad all day for these kids, or you can just try to forget about it or distract yourself and focus on something else. But I think, and I think. Charity is actually not as easy as it sounds because I think a lot of people are very, very charitable. I think the average person who, who would be exposed to that level of suffering would want to do something to help out. The problem right. is that just giving money to an organization rarely fixes the problem. In fact, there's a really good book called The Road to Hell, and you know, it's based on the famous saying, of course, the road to hell is paved with good intention. Yeah. It basically talks about how most nonprofits are just flat-out scams,
0: and you and I have talked about this many times. Oh, yeah. I mean I'm, I'm thankful that you pointed out that you know a couple of websites tell me to actually like really check up on a lot of these organizations, <clears throat> you know, not to shoot down. I mean there are quite – there are a lot of organizations that do a lot of good, and I mean they, they actually do take the money and do help the people they intend to help. But there are some. I mean, yeah, they're helping people, but they're not really doing as much as is what they're getting. I mean, I'm looking at some of the CEOs and their salaries. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, red supposed profit. to be a nonprofit. Like, dude, I mean, red you're red. making like half a
1: million dollars. Really? Go to a website called. For people listening, go to a website called CharityNavigator.org. Exactly. Navigator.org, and if it doesn't show up for some reason, just put it in Google, and it'll pop up. And you mm-hmm. can actually go take a look at. Any charity in the U.S., not worldwide charities. It's basically just based, charities based in the U.S., and you can get an idea of the salaries that the top people make. You can look at how much money they have versus how much they spend, how much is actually in the field. So you can get you can get quite an accurate assessment of whether this is an organization you really want to give money to. And some of you are going to be really shocked, and then you're going to be really mad because some of these organizations are probably ones that you've been giving money to for a long time, thinking that you're doing some good. But I'm looking, right. I'm looking at the Red Cross profile right now. Okay, and
0: the Red Cross. Yeah, that's my example right there. And it's, even before you told me, you know, about this website, dude. I mean, there are certain things that are like closer to home that really involved the Red Cross that they dropped the ball on, or excuse me, yeah. pretty much we didn't even see the game. <laughs> we didn't even see them get to drop the ball because we weren't invited to the game. I mean, things from Hurricane Katrina all the way to, like, Hurricane Ike. So there's a lot of things that happened right here in my area, here in the Gulf Coast, that involved them that, to this day, they still didn't provide any real answers to. I mean, there's a lot of things concerning Hurricane Katrina to this day as far as all the money that was donated to that that has gone unaccounted for. So – suffice it to say, once you pointed me to that website, and then just kind of looking at them, I I, I was done. I was done. I mean, there's so many other, there's so many other ways, you know, to kind of go around all this. To me, it seems like it's now becoming, the Red Cross to me seems like it's becoming this big political, like profit machine now. What's so that's, that's just my opinion, and people can disagree with me. Hey, I, I, I don't mind, but that's my opinion. That's the cool thing about it. One thing about you—you'll hear from both of us here. It's our opinions, okay? So guess what? It's it's our truth. So I know some people are like, no, they do a lot of good, blah blah. Well, you know what? I don't see it. It's recently, okay? Maybe in the beginning, maybe hell up until up in 20 years ago, maybe they did. But as of now, I don't see it, and I know a lot of people who don't see it who are touched by all those events
1: in our area
0: who could tell you they are still waiting for that aid and that help and hell Katrina we're talking about something that happened like eight what eight years ago <laughs> you know people still waiting so yeah man just even bring up the Red Cross right now it gets, it gets me a little sour just even talking about them
1: <laughs> Oh, me too. I mean, and, and I'm sure a lot of people listening who are not aware of this I mean I'm looking at their profile page right now the president has a, a salary of $500,000, okay, $500,000. That's way beyond an executive salary for a profit-inducing company, and here's a nonprofit where a president is making that much. That That's ridiculous. And then you're looking at their net assets, $2 billion in net assets. Why do they have a bunch of money sitting around? It should be in the field actually helping people. Why do they even need to raise money when something happens? They have this much they have in a surplus. Yeah. <laughs> It's ridiculous, it's ridiculous, like that the excess they had for last year is right this is two thousand eleven statement actually, okay, so the excess they had for i guess around two thousand eleven we're looking at
0: thirty million dollars in excess now and now on the flip note of that, we have a lot of friends that live in the you know the New York New Jersey area, they were hit by Sandy or whatever. I know a lot of friends, we have friends who are like who had businesses like i mean things on the pier and things like that right. and Pretty much, you know, they're getting, they're getting aid from basically out of their pockets from their local community, from people who've supported them for years and supported their business, as well as whatever they can get from the insurance companies. Yet and still, nothing's really happened with the Red Cross. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? And you're, you're, doing, you're doing like telethons and all this other stuff. You're getting all these stars to come out and all this other madness. Yeah. My thing is, instead of getting all these celebrities to come on your telethon and try to get pledges or whatever, first of all, when you put all these celebrities that they pick for these telethons and you put just – if you just take 10% of all of their earnings that they spend on stupid crap like cars and, and rehab <laughs> <that they laughs> and lawyers that they don't have any use for, if they just took all that and actually went directly to these businesses and these people and did that with them directly and cut out this middleman madness, do you understand how much change and effect they would, a positive effect they would have in these Really crappy situations. I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> oh, it would be unreal. Yeah, it would be yeah. and That's a really good point. It's like you can always look at one way to assess whether a nonprofit is using money wisely is whether they actually advertise on TV or not. If they do, it's probably not being used efficiently because that's a lot of money being blown for advertising oh, yeah. on television. So I like, I always recommend people look for small grassroots nonprofit-type organizations, ones where maybe you even know the guy or the lady who started it, and they have a low burn rate, it's transparent as possible. My friend Melia Kaplan has a great organization called Voice for Animals in, in uh, Los Angeles, and what she does is help abandon animals that have been left for foreclosures, get them adopted, things like that. And her salary is $20,000 a year, which frankly, I think is a lot lower than she should pay herself. I think that's a little bit too low, you know? but right. that's, the, that's the kind of selfless person she is. I mean, I think she should pay herself at least thirty-five, forty thousand. 40,000. I mean, I, come on, she lives in Los Angeles, not exactly an inexpensive place to live, but I, I really like the fact that she's so dedicated. She's like, no, I want that money in the field, helping animals. So when you donate to them, you know exactly where that money is going towards. Like I donated to them recently and it went to help in yeah. abandoned dog surgery. And she gave me an update on the whole shebang. So that's, yeah. that's what I like is when you donate to an organization, you want to you know exactly what it's going towards. And our mutual friend, CJ Swaby, great guy, UK strength coach, he does a lot of fundraising for some schools in Africa as well. And mm-hmm. he, he said that the best way to raise funds is to make it very clear what the money is going towards so for example yeah. we're trying to raise money to build a kitchen for these kids in this school or we're trying to build a new classroom so now you have a very precise goal for what you're trying to do and people are like okay so if i donate money that's what it's going to go towards otherwise it could just be going to someone's fund you could just be going to someone's bank account or someone's assets like the Red Cross here where, you know, you're donating the money, maybe it'll be used for something good someday, but for right now it's just gonna go to a bank account somewhere. Well, I'd rather just keep it in my bank account, okay? If I'd help you, man. I I if there's a good organization, I'm happy to give plenty of money. I mean I have no problem with that whatsoever. I, I feel really blessed in my life. I'm happy to help out good causes. But what I don't want to do is is be a sucker, where I'm giving someone money thinking that I'm doing some good, and it's just going to a bank account somewhere or someone's using it for a Hawaii vacation. That really pisses me off, and that that to me is – none of us like to be bamboozled, basically. Exactly. (laughs) We don't want to feel conned, And just like the way you and I run our businesses, I don't want to sell someone a product saying, well, this product sucks, and I know it. But hopefully they'll get a placebo effect. You know, <laughs> that's not the way I operate in my business. I find stuff that I benefit from, and then I offer it to people at a fair price. And uh, same thing with the charity. When I donate money to a charity, look, I don't expect people to live on the streets so that all the money can be go going to the charity. You know, pay yourself a reasonable salary, okay? But
0: $500,000 is not reasonable. That's know? not reasonable at all. I'm mean, like, come on, man. And I'm sorry. There's just no way you're going to be able to justify that. And don't give me the, well, it's a very big organization and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> trust I'm not trying to hear you man I mean you yeah. really cannot justify half a million dollars for a non-profit organization yeah. to run a non-profit I mean seriously shut up <laughs> if
1: you, if you want to make money go be an investment banker know, those guys are not doing it to save the manatees, Okay. exactly <laughs> they're not trying to
0: save the world either okay they're in they're in the business of banking they make no qualms about that so you got to respect that okay they're they're up front and you know right up front that they could give a rat's ass about you. Okay. It's all about, you know, them staying in the black, especially in the banking business and they're going to do whatever it takes. That's the reason why so many people now are in such a crappy situation. But you know, that was not that, that situation to me was, I'm, I'm, I know some people had to get in the gut feeling like it was too good to be true, especially with, like, all those home loans and things like right, that. Right. You, you, you had to get, like, you, you had to know, like, wait a minute, I know I got some jacked-up credit, and I got a credit score of 400, and I can get this $300,000 house?
1: <laughs>
0: okay, a little light should have gone off in your head. It should have said, like, dude, you're getting set up for the okie doke Okay, there's just no way. They're gonna, and, uh, and if they are just going to do this for you, Something just is going to stink about this. this would, do you really want this home? And, for, and then common sense is, okay, again, your credit score is 400. Obviously, you suck at paying off your debts. Yeah. So what makes you think that you can afford a $300,000 home? Don't let anybody stroke you and make you feel like you can do it. Yes, because if you can pay that $300,000, well, first of all, you're not going to get it done in 30 years okay it's not going to happen in 30 years so that 30-year mortgage is already a you're going to be paying that mortgage excuse me you're not even going to be paying that mortgage off your great-grandkids are going to pay that mortgage off <laughs> so yeah. so i'm like come on let's just yeah, common yeah, sense so yeah when you work for
1: counter at 7-eleven don't think that you can go buy a house
0: and i'm not making,
1: <laughs> I'm not making fun of someone who works at 7-eleven i respect just be real you but know the point is, is that that's not a high-paying job so it's, it's You kind of have to accept the reality of, okay, I need to live within my means, and buying a big house is not going to happen as long as I'm in this position. So save that for down the road when when you've moved up the chain a little bit. But what's funny is real estate agents, have you ever heard a real estate agent say it's not a good time to buy? They always say it's a good time to buy. I've looked at hours many times where right before this whole crash occurred, actually, oh, it's a great time to buy. Things are going way up. And then things started crashing. Oh, it's a great time to
0: buy now. Things are going way down. Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing with stocks. It's the same thing with stocks. When the economy is bad, this is the perfect time to buy stocks. Why are they at low prices? And and you get in now because they're going to go back up. That's just – you know, trends have already shown that. And then when stocks are, like, sky high, this is the perfect time because everybody's buying. You don't want to be left out in the cold. They give everybody this, this projection of fear. You don't want to get left out. You don't want to be by yourself. You don't want to be that sucker that's broke when all your friends are getting paid. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. like, they play upon everybody's fears of being isolated and alone. And And it's so funny because they – so many people in our industry do the same freaking thing to all these trainers who are coming up. And, of course, they bust their, their, their humps every day. You know, when they open up a gym, things are not probably going off as quickly as they wanted to. But then they get suckered by, you know, some of these fitness marketing guys out there who's like, you know, this is the, this is the, the way to make that six and seven figures, man. You need, to, you need to go to my seminar. You need to come and spend three days with me and listen to all my experts who they have every freaking year talking about the same crap okay so i'm like your experts they haven't advanced their game they're still talking about stuff they were talking about in 2006 It's 2013 the industry has changed so much why are they still talking about the same stuff seo you got to get you know great position in seo like come on man we still talking about seo
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what really this is a good segue sincere this is a good one i wanted to talk about some of the trends in our fitness industry so that's, yeah. let's use this as a segue and jump right in because you're bringing up one thing that really irritates me and it's I don't like people – okay, I, I give – I've done courses on fitness marketing too. Okay, I did a seminar last year. I gave away good info. Now, but what I, what I feel makes me authentic is the sense that I still make money as a trainer. In other words, I'm not trying to be a fitness marketing expert. I'm not a guy who used to do workshops, who used to design programs for people, who used to design supplements, who's now trying to teach you how to do that. I'm a guy who still does that. So I did my course on fitness marketing, and then I'm back in the field. Now I'm, I'm still in the field while I'm teaching it. So where I'm, where I'm going is I don't want fitness marketing advice from a guy or a lady who's not in the industry anymore as some kind of trainer. Because to me, what, what they're doing is telling me what they used to do when they were a trainer. Well, that could be five years ago or 10 years ago. That's not relevant to the landscape right now. And exactly. This, the other thing that irritates me about a lot of fitness marketing so-called experts, and I've, and I've spoken at events like this before, so I've seen a lot of these other people. Some good, most not, to be perfectly blunt. Most suck, actually, if I'm going to be really blunt.
0: <laughs> yeah, be real. Yeah.
1: And what really irritates me the most, and I'm sure you've seen this, is the fact that a lot of these people don't even look like they've ever worked out in their life. I'm like that's seriously. Serious When's the last thing. time you picked up a weight? This is like, yeah, are you serious, serious right thing. now? No, no. <laughs> I don't want to hear fitness marketing advice from someone who doesn't train. And that's usually my way of assessing whether I want to work with someone or not. It's like, hey, I wanted to talk to you about some fitness marketing ideas. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, guess what? I have a group workout this Saturday. Come on over. Join the workout, and then we'll talk afterwards when we go hang out. Well, Come on. That's the,
0: on, that's the, that's the trainers. That's your version of the, the golf game in business. You know, when you got business execs, they go play golf. Then they talk about business yeah, with yeah. us. You come train with us a little bit. Then we'll talk business afterwards while well. we're you know, drinking a protein shake. How about that?
1: Exactly. But, I mean, it's also, I want to know if this person even works out. Because if they say no, then I, then I might forget it. It's like, first of all, yeah. I don't invite a lot of people over to my house to join in on a group workout. So if I invite you, you should come over just for that. I don't charge for it. <laughs> and I charge a lot when people work with me at my workshops, seminars, whatnot. So if I'm inviting you to come over and jump in one of the workouts – it's fun, man. You should come over. It's not like you're getting, you're not paying to do that. That's number one. Number two, it gives me an idea to assess someone's mental toughness, which is the other thing I wanted to talk about today because someone comes over and they do, they do a half ass effort with one of the group workouts. You're not going to be invited back. In fact, I'll probably tell you to leave because what's happening is you're making the group worse. So like my rule of thumb is look, Friends, anyone I invite is welcome to come over and join the group workout. The only thing I ask is that you put in 100%. That doesn't mean okay. that you have to be the strongest guy or the strongest lady. No. I want to see a, a strong effort because that makes everybody better. It makes me better. It makes everyone else better. If I do the same thing, it makes you better. And now all of us have an awesome workout. I mean, if you get a good group of people and you work out a couple times a week, your progress is going to be so much better than if you trained alone. It's not even going to – It's so much more fun, and then you you feed off that group energy. It's like you're one stick. You can break that stick easily. But five or six people training hard, bam, you can't break all six sticks. So it's kind of like that mentality. You're always going to be strong. But if you have a bunch of people there that are whiny and just standing around and not attacking, Oh,
0: man. Like,
1: oh, what what do I do next? Like, pay attention, man. What do you think we're doing here? You know, like that kind of stuff. If 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 we have to motivate someone, oh come on,
0: come on, go ahead, you can do it. No. No, everyone should be pumping I mean, in. Or that deadly question, man. How many how many more rounds, man? How, uh-huh. how, how long are we going to do this one? Are you <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: what? Or or what's funny is people <laughs> One of the clever things that people do when they start fatiguing is they'll start asking you a bunch of questions in the middle of the workout, right? We have this happening.
0: <laughs> Buying time. You're just trying to stall. <laughs> We're not doing that. We're not going to make a
1: one-minute break, 20 minutes, because you want to pick my brain. So whatever, whenever I have someone who's a real yabber, I'll, I'll just be like, okay, first first go do this, then talk. Guess what? They don't want to talk after that. They're just <laughs>
0: they're trying to catch Come up. On. You know, and that's why I said that's why God invented the burpee. The burpee is <laughs> official STFU. Work exercise of, of my class. When somebody's running their yap, have them do burpees. By the time they're done, the last thing they're going to want to do is ask you a bunch of fricking questions. All they want to do is catch their breath. So that's my official, that's my go-to SCFU exercise right there. Just burpees. They'll shut anybody the hell up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. They do some metabolic conditioning stuff, sledgehammer strikes, kettlebell swings, battling ropes, burpees body weight stuff you just throw it in the mix you have a lot of variety good times farmers walks everyone has a blast with this stuff and it's tough work so when when you're done with your set you have a break while you're waiting for the next person to go you better take it it's not time to oh yeah it. and you, you're not gonna want to that's that's what happens so it's, I don't even have to tell someone like hey you know stop talking let's work out I just have mm-hmm. them do one thing and I picked this up from Mark Philippi when I trained with him Because he would have athletes come in and start jabbering away. He would say, look, do the set first, then talk. And they didn't want to talk after they did the set. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very effective way of him saying, shut up and train. Shut the shut up, up. exactly. He's very clever at that. I'm very impressed with Mark Filippi, who's an awesome strength coach here in Las Vegas. He's very good at assessing people's personalities and knowing exactly what to say to get that person motivated. So on one hand, he may have a professional football player who needs to be told, hey, look, stop messing around, jump in there and do that, and then he'll do it. At the same time, he may, be ha- he may have an overweight kid with no self-confidence who just came in in his first day who tried doing something. It didn't work out <clears> well. He's totally demoralized. He'll go over to that kid and say, look, it's going to be a tough road, so don't worry about how you feel right now. Just do your best, and we'll keep improving. And then that kid feels better because if he tells that kid the same thing he just told the NFL player, that kid's going to be even worse. You know, this kid's already beaten down, and this is what I hate about shows like uh, Biggest sh- Loser. Yeah, Biggest Loser. I'm, I, I'm, I'm so happy I could barely remember the name of it. That's not- <laughs> and this show is ubiquitous worldwide. They have their own version in Australia, UK. Oh, I
0: know, I know, I saw that.
1: It's <laughs> show everywhere. What I hate about that show more than anything else is it's Let's humiliate overweight people for ratings. So let's, let's put overweight people in workouts that are, not, that are not even close to being responsible and scream in their face and humiliate them until they're crying, and then we'll get some good ratings. I think, I think it's moronic, and a lot of people will say, well – you know, the ends justify the means, look at
0: them at the end of the show. It's like, well, look at them a year ago. Well, if that's the case, if the ends justify the means, then, okay, first of all, well, look deeper than yourself and and your motivation. It's just like, well, that means one less trip to frickin', you know, marble slab, you know, each week. The ends justify the means. Yeah, you want your ice cream, but guess what? If you want to start being healthy and feeling better, then guess what? You're going to have to stop taking trips there. You got to stay out of the drive-thru. Well, no, man, I got to, you know, I got to eat. Exactly. Well, I don't want to buy organic. It costs too much. Hey, man, the ends justify the means. You said it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? <laughs> and that's one thing I like about when you brought up Mark. One thing, I mean, I came I met him when I came to your, one of the first workshops I ever did with you. Um, it's when we first met, like, face-to-face. Yeah. Um, and I met Mark at that workshop. Man, I'll tell you, and it's, it's funny, like, actually, like, learning and training with someone that you've watched, like kick so much behind, man, on all these strongman competitions. I used to watch him, like on ESPN, you know, you know, years before that. You know, while I was in college, you know, here, I, you know, had the opportunity to train with him at your workshop. But one thing about it, just like you were saying. I mean, he really learns, even people he just met, you know, you can even tell just the way he worked with everyone at that workshop, he really was in tune with everyone's personalities. He, yeah, he knows yeah. which ones kind of like, okay, I can get, you know, I, this guy right here is really, really into it. Okay, this, this guy kind of, he's a little shy about, you know, going and working with the Stones, and let me just kind of show him that it's okay, that you're not going to get hurt, you know, there's a use for this. And, you know, so he really, he was very flexible. And that right there is a sign of great, coaching and lots of experience. And that right there is something, I'm sorry, you cannot teach that at your fitness marketing seminar.
1: No. That
0: cause, you get that from being out in the field and constantly in the field, working and dealing with different personalities on a daily basis and learning how to, first of all, as a coach, you learn how to shut the hell up and listen to your client. And then at the same time, use all your senses. You gotta sit there and you also have to observe their behavior and watch them as they say certain things pick up on certain things that they say. There are a lot of things. Sometimes people say different things like, you know, I've had clients say like, well, you know, to you know, you know, my fat behind can't do that, you know, little things like that. And guess what? As a coach, it's like you've you got to help them change that language because if they're still subconsciously thinking of themselves that way, their progress is pretty much not going to happen. Their goals are not going to be reached because they're going to always, they're always down themselves and they're always seeing themselves as this weak person who does not deserve to be better. So it's just, but again, that comes from being out in the field and actually being able to listen to your clients or listen to the people that you work with and really assessing and and removing yourself from the equation as far as imposing your will on them. That's another problem. A lot of people in the fitness industry have, they want to impose their will on their clients. Just like you were saying about like the biggest loser and all that, but I can't even bring them into conversation because those are not even real trainers. Whenever I hear celebrity trainers, I'm like, you know what that's called? A paid actor. Okay. So I don't, I don't even want to hear anything about a celebrity trainer on television, you know, especially when I used to work a desk at a gym that she co-owned another celebrity trainer from a reality show. I could care less about them, especially when they can't tell you where they got their kettlebell training from. You know, they took them about a year or two to even say who they worked with and then that credibility was shot. So anyway, enough about them. (laughs) That's a whole different story right there. But Like I said, I I get tired of all these trainers imposing their will on the client. So, look, dude, if training like a bodybuilder works for you, that's awesome. But if the client's coming in and they don't want to look like a bodybuilder, they're not trying to compete in a competition for a bodybuilder, don't try to impose that on them. Listen to what their goals are. And then hopefully you're experienced enough and smart enough to understand and figure out what's going to work for them and what's going to get them on the right path. And then be flexible enough. And open enough to realize, like, if something is going on for a few weeks or a month or two and it's really not clicking with them, you'll readjust, you'll reevaluate, you'll reassess, and then you'll reboot and start all over again and let's go with something else. But most of the time, their egos won't allow that. It's like, well, this worked for me. You know, eating like this worked for me. I've been eating paleo. You should be eating paleo. I've been a vegetarian. You need to eat vegetarian. You know, it's just like my thing is, well, why, are you, why do you choose to be that? you know, why'd you start eating? A lot of times they don't even really know. They, they just heard that it sounds good. Or, God forbid, Dr. Oz said, <laughs> you know, you should have a plant-based diet. At least you should do it for two or three months and then see what happens. I'm like, Dr. Oz, well, there's a pillar of, of fitness. <laughs> there's somebody I aspire to look like. And, you know, with my life, like, really? no, man. What works for Dr. Oz works for Dr. Oz. So, If Sally comes in to you and she's like, hey, Mr. Trainer Boy, you know, this is what I want to do. we got to figure out, okay, you got to get down to the heart of the matter. What's really working for Sally? Okay, Sally might be one of those people that kind of, you know, like you're saying, like an overweight kid that Mark's dealt with. you got to kind of change your language the way you talk with them in order to encourage them. I can't sit there and talk to a Sally the way I would talk to Mike where I'm like, all right, Mike, (laughs) you you, you drag assing around, man. Come on, man. You look like a little bitch right now. (laughs) You know, some guys, that works for us. The majority of men, that, that, we like that because it's almost a challenge, okay? <laughs> there are certain clients you just can't, you can't come at them like that. And it's always funny when I'm hearing a lot of these male coaches out there and some of the things they say, I'm like, obviously you have not really worked with women, okay? And I said, not just, I'm not talking about women who need to be coddled or anything like that, even if you work with type A's, which the majority of my female clients are type A's. And when I say type A, it doesn't mean they're type B, meaning type butch. These are real women, okay? (laughs) It's not like I'm working with some, you know, some hardcore female athletes who think they're men. No. These are women who are mentally tough, you know, but at the same time, they're still feminine. So there's there's still certain ways that you need to talk to them, you know, that you're not going to necessarily talk to your homeboy that you went to high school with, that you train with on the weekends just to have a workout buddy with. So... Again, it's all about learning and knowing, and that's one thing I really liked about Mark, and I really picked up on that, and this was, what, 2008, 2009, when I was at that workshop? Oh, <laughs> and to this day, I mean, like, I still, I still, like, one of my favorite DVDs that I got from you is probably, in my opinion, one of the most slept-on DVDs that you had, and that was the power exercise that you did with Mark. To me, I think that is probably – Out of all the DVDs that you've done, that one right there, man, is like one of my favorites. And I really think that a lot of people can give that one enough credit, you know, just just the knowledge that Mark drops in that DVD, man. It's like, can't say enough good things about that guy.
1: I really like that DVD, too, and I really liked working with Mark. And I think the problem, though, that people have, and this kind of segues segues into the whole whole trend in the fitness information, where that's going. People trying to make money off fitness information products. See, the problem, the problem with fitness information products is that, for example, if you want to make a DVD that sells, the, the kind of video that's going to sell is a follow-along workout video. Now, I'm going to be totally blunt about how I feel about follow-along workout videos. I think they suck, okay? I think this concept is moronic, and I think any guy who stands in front of a TV and does follow-along workouts you he should need to go check his birth certificate to see whether he's actually a guy or not. Because I, I think the whole concept is so stupid. You know, now, now <laughs> I will say this. I will say that. I'm going to bring it back home and balance it out here So before I get a bunch of hate mail from my friends who make follow-along videos. Okay, now, there are a lot of women who say they love these follow-along workout videos. They've got kids at home. They've got things to do. It allows them to get in front of it. Hey, more power to you. And you know, to be fair, if it, if it helps you get in shape, whether you're a man or a woman, fine. You know, go for it. It's not something I would ever make because people always ask me why why haven't you made a follow-along workout video? Well, I have a very strong philosophy philosophy with how I run my business. I only produce things that I would want to buy myself as a consumer.
0: So there you example,
1: go. The kind of the kind of I'm never going to make a nutrition supplement to sell that I don't use personally. Because I want it to be, I want it to come from natu- natural enthusiasm where I tried it and I go, man, this is awesome. I bet other people would love it. And the same thing with the kind of videos I make or the kind of videos I would want to buy as a consumer. So when I, want, when I buy a training video, I want good instruction. Give me some ideas on how to do workout design. I'll take care of the rest. I'll go to a park. I'll go outside. I'll go to the gym. But I'm not going to get in front of a TV and follow along with somebody. That's just not my thing. And I, don't, I, I think such videos are limiting as well because how many times can you do the same workout? You have to change your workouts fairly often, every four to six weeks or so. So it's a good way yeah. for people who sell fitness follow-along videos because you could come out with a new one every month and say, hey, guess what? You stick to the old one? Here's another one to come out with. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like the concept because people spend enough time in front of the TV as it is, and I think people should shut off have some follow a program where you're outside at a gym somewhere else where you have some alone time, because when you're in front of a TV, you're still having basically a conversation with a person there. I mean, it's one way because they're not literally there, but I, I really feel like it takes away from a real hardcore workout where it's almost like meditation. If you do it correctly, where you're on your own in whatever capacity that is. And I also think that it's just my attitude is if it's sold on an infomercial, that pretty much says it all. It's
0: it's so- First of all, why are you awake? Okay, notice that most of the time those things come on at 2 or 3 in the morning when you're already, you're already you've already done all the things needed for them to sell that to you. You have, you have put together all of the fear and self-loathing that you need in order for them to sell you that P90X, I'll say it, that P90X DVD at 3 in the morning. First of all, at 3 in the morning, the last thing I'm thinking about is working out. 3 in the morning, I'm asleep. Okay, so unless you're trying to sell me a sleep video, (laughs) you know, because I'm I'm probably having like a bad case of insomnia, I'm not trying to hear you. So they're already planning upon that. Most of the people who are up that time in the morning, unless they work the graveyard shift, you know, they're probably already suffering from adrenal fatigue, so they already feel crappy about their body. They probably already have like, you know, they already got stomach fat because, again, cortisol is all jacked up because, hey, they're up at 3 in the morning, and they're probably – they're probably eating Doritos at that time or because they've been watching their regular cable channels, which is showing like all of the cakes and candies and all the junk food commercials, you know, that's got to motivate you to go in the kitchen, you know, or make a run to the 7-Eleven and come back. And then when they come back from 7-Eleven, there's, hey, Tony Horton, just push play. And I was just like, come on, man. Again, celebrity trainers, <laughs> you know, beware, run. <laughs> but here's, here's the problem I have with a lot of the following videos as well, Mike. One more thing about them they don't know who the hell you are. And what I mean by that is that they're not catered to you. They don't know any issues you have. They don't know about any of the issues I just brought up a minute ago Why you were up at 2 in the morning. They don't know that you have adrenal fatigue. And first of all, if you have adrenal fatigue already and you have high cortisol, what makes you think that you should be doing something like P90X, something that hardcore, and you, my friend, are just getting off the couch? Okay, so all that's going to do is really – push your cortisol levels beyond, you know, beyond where they should be. So, again, like I said, these DVDs don't cater to the the people that are buying them because it's very – it's just like a fitness magazine. It's pretty much a one-size-fits-all type thing because they can't cater it to everyone that reads the magazine or watches the commercial because that would be very time-consuming. So why not just go and do the missing can? Get out, experience the things that you find fun and challenging and motivating enough to make you want to come back and try it again. You know, get some people, get some friends or whatever. Hold each other accountable. They know who you are too. So they pretty much know your personality. You know their personality. You find some things that work out for you guys. And the biggest thing is you've got to be freaking patient. That's what all this leads to. And everybody wants something right away. So they go and buy something like P90X, and it's like, well, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to look like those people who are going to be on the commercial after three months of doing this. Right. Okay, if you already got a body fat percentage of like 49%, you're 150 pounds overweight, dude, you're not going to be on a P90X commercial. Okay, no, not in three months. Not in three months. Not It's just not healthy. Even if you did that, if you smoked all the crack, <laughs> you know, in the hood, you know, for three months straight, you still would not be in, in the shape to be in something like that. And please also believe most of the people you see in those commercials, they didn't do that in three months. They're fitness models. And on top of that, don't think also just because they're fitness models that they're in shape and they're, they have the best health. A lot of them for these photo shoots and for these infomercials and all this other stuff, they put themselves through some really crappy diets as well preparing for that shoot, Absolutely. you know, or that filming. So they've deprived themselves as well. They've. They've cut out water. They've cut out carbs. They've cut out all this different stuff. A lot of them are probably just sipping on ice chips for hydration and things like that, just so they can have the you know striations and everything in their body. So, you know, seeing is not believing when no, you're looking at all this.
1: Stuff. competitors also is that a lot of them when they stop competing, they pile on body fat so fast. Oh, I know.
0: It's off season. It's off season, I've had, several, <laughs>
1: I've had several contact me with hormonal issues saying. And they'll send me photos of what they look like now, and you can't even believe they ever competed in a fitness competition I know. because they just put on excessive amount of body fat. Their, their cortisol was high for such a long time that now it's actually low, so it's actually almost shut Dominant. off. And that's yeah. when you're in severe adrenal fatigue. You know, that's when you wake up in the morning and forget about no energy. You can't even get out of bed. I mean, you're, like, It takes everything you have just to get, get out of bed and, and get your day going. So, I mean, when you wake up with really low morning energy, that's a sign that you have some pretty bad adrenal fatigue. And then what happens is your cortisol goes way up at night. So now you can't even go to sleep. So it's really –
0: Exactly. Now everything's reversed. You know, pretty much your body's acting as if the sun is out at midnight. (laughs) You know? You have this whole reversal. I mean, that's a topic – well, we'll have a
1: whole show on adrenal fatigue at some point and just kind of delve into that more. And we'll have some experts come on, and, and we'll have a good conversation about that for sure. That's no doubt about that. But the thing is, is that, yeah, with a lot of fitness competitors, they're, they've taken themselves to such an extreme, and this happens to some bodybuilders too, that when they stop competing or they dial it back, all of a sudden their body's trying to balance out. So you start throwing on excessive body fat, you start having cravings for all kinds of things. And that's just like a desperation on your body to try to find some sure. equilibrium. So it's, it's also what happens. Here's another thing about – you really brought up a good point about how people need to be patient and not expect these transformations in 90 days. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why people should be patient. And one of the reasons that people don't think about is even if you pull it off, okay, even if you make this awesome transformation in 90 days, the faster you get to your goal, the harder it is to hang on to your new physique. If you mm-hmm. do it in a more slow and controlled manner – then your body has time to adjust, and the more likely you are to keep that when you finally get there. So if you get your dream physique, let's say in three years, people hear that they're like, three years? Three years is nothing. Come on, this year, this year is already in May. We're I know. At the point of this year. I mean, if I told you, look, right now you're super overweight. You can you can't even touch your toes. You couldn't do a pull up to save your life. But in three years, we're going to get you to this place. You're going to have great hormonal health. Your energy is going to be awesome. You're going to look good. Your skin is going to be nice. You're going to be energetic and so forth. Now, you'll experience a lot of progress along the way. I'm not saying oh, that yeah. you're going to look like this today for two years. Then you start making some progress. No, you're going to make progress along the way, not just in terms of how you look, but in terms of how you feel. Your self, yeah. But it's going to take a while. And then, and then when people hear that and they think, why should it take that long? It's like, look, you've been overweight and unhealthy for what, 30 years now, 20
0: years? I say that all the time. I'm like, dude, let me tell you something. You I said, if you, Come on. <laughs> you, can't fall on. you can't focus on getting healthy in three years, I said, do you know how focused you were to get that freaking out of shape in the last 30? I was like, dude, you had laser-sharp focus. Nothing in the world could have stopped you from going through that drive through. So guess what? <laughs> so now we're just gonna reverse things. Now, you see, if you can be that sh- razor sharp and focused on being unhealthy, we can do the opposite. But you know, it really comes down to at that time when you have people questioning like three years, you know, why so long? The fact that they have to ask that question is that they don't have a clear vision of where you know where they want to be. They don't really know. All they want these are the people gonna be more like. Um, so why'd you call me? Uh, well, sincere, I want to lose weight Okay, so why would you call me? And I've done that before My wife watches me When you some of these phone calls She's like, I can't believe you talk to these people like that I'm like, I need them to be clear Because this, this is going to be my time So I'm like, okay, why would you call me? Well, I, you know, I kind of let myself go and blah, blah. So you can already hear in their voice right, They're right. still unsure You know, I love the call where it's like Look, man, okay, I got kids And I'm trying to, first of all, I'm 40. My dad, he died of a heart attack when he was 55. That's 15 years from now. I'm not trying to be that dude. My uncle just died of cancer. You know, my mom's got diabetes. You know, and I got two kids right now. One of them is pre-diabetic. And who am I to sit there and, like, worry about my kids when, you know, I'm not being a good example? See, that right there, that's the person that's going, most likely they're going to make the changes they need to make. And they understand it's not going to happen overnight, okay? They have... A reason they have, and you know, I know it's so overused. I hear people saying all the time, but these people know their why. They found their why, you know, and I know people have abused that term, especially all the marketing gurus or whatever. You've got to know your why. Gosh, <laughs> I just, I just want to punch them in the throat, man. Throat punching is a new thing. <laughs> so, you know, the Melissa McCarthy, man, and, and Identity Theft, she brought back the throat punch. And I'm, I'm at that point, and I just feel like throat punching a lot of people now <laughs> who just abuse these things, man. So it gets to the point where we're desensitized to the message behind such quotes, you know, <laughs>
1: No, it's true, and then the—I mean, it's, it's also the whole—the whole. I mean, if you're at a fitness, going back to the whole fitness marketing stuff, if, if you're at a course and someone up there is saying you need to find your why, and you're writing that down, going, "Yeah, I really need to find my why." <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. I knew when I got into the fitness business, I, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do. I didn't just jump in and say, "Well, let me see what happens, and then we'll go from there." So I'm—I'm I'm a, I'm a strong believer in having a goal. But at the same time, you don't want to be so focused on achieving your goal that it becomes a distraction now. And yeah. that kind of brings me back to what I, where I go here. I go, look, three years is not that long a time. But also, the goal is nothing compared to the journey that you're about to take here and the kind of changes you're going to make as a person during this journey. That's going to be way more valuable. When you get to that goal, that'll be anticlimactic compared to all of the ups and downs that what you learned about yourself. You're going to learn about yourself in a big way, whether you have what it takes to push through and stay the course. And if you do, you're going to look back and be proud of yourself. And that's a very valuable thing right there. I always tell people, look, when you're thinking about what, when you have a tough decision to make, you're like, huh, I don't know if I should do this or that. Put yourself forward in a couple of years and imagine yourself looking back to where you are right now and ask yourself if you're going to be, if you're going to be proud of the way you carry yourself. And that, that was kind of like what happened to me when early on in my business, I was going through a lot of rough times. I had personal life problems, financial problems. I had a really bad case of pneumonia. So then I had health problems. And I remember at the lowest points in my first year in the business, I had $7 left in my bank account. I'd lost about 30 pounds of muscle. So I was weak, looked like crap. And I it, you almost had a laugh at that point because you're like, what could get worse than this? Now, I, I already right. know the answer to that. It could get a lot worse because I've been to Uganda and India and so forth. You know? so even, yeah. then, even then, I knew these were luxury problems. But at that point, I decided, you know what? I'm going to have to go get a regular job for a while. I'll go work at the corporate world for a little bit, make some money, and then I'll come back to this in six months and, and try again. And that was kind of my resolve at that moment. And then I'm walking my dog, Mona, around the block, and I'm thinking, ah, you know, it's not a big deal. I'll go I'll go do a job I don't want to do for a while, then I'll get back into this. And I saw a bunch of people in an office building, very much similar to what I used to work in, and they're at the water cooler chit-chatting, or they're in their office pretending they're working on the computer. <laughs> and I go, you know what? I can't go back to that. I need to grow a pear, <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> And make this thing work. I didn't move out to Los Angeles to to leave with my tail between my legs or give up like every other loser who moves out there with these starry eyes. No. I wanted to go out there and build a successful business. And when I left, it was because I wanted to leave, not because I couldn't afford to be there anymore or because I just burned myself out, et cetera. So then that was a big that was a big turning point for me as well. And I also one thing that I that allowed me to stay focused at that point is I had financial goals. I said, this is how much I want to make in a couple of years. But I realized it was going to take a couple of years to make that. So another thing that really irritates me about a lot of fitness marketing people is I'm going to they'll say, I'm going to show you how to make six figures your first year in business, which I think <laughs> is stupid. You should be lucky, you should be You know what? You know what you should do in your first year in business? You should celebrate if you're still in business
0: at the end of the year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because most of them, most new businesses, most entrepreneurs, it's a wrap after one year. Yeah. By, the time they, by the time they have to go pay the, their first <laughs> their first set of taxes on April 15th, which is that right there is a mistake. Like, why did you wait to April 15th? You should have been paying it quarterly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you'll learn. You'll learn. That's the thing. If you stick around long enough, you learn those little things. Right. Okay? And guess what? they're not really telling you about that at those seminars either. You know, like pretty much like, hey, you're probably, probably be a lot smarter if you handle your taxes this way, so therefore you're not hitting with such a burden once a year. And then next thing you know, you don't have the money, and then you're going to sit there and have to, like, get it in installments, which they're going to get interest The IRS are going to get interest on you. And then you're going to be like, What's the the point? I'd rather go back, get a quote-unquote regular real job, and at least when I was doing that, I was getting an income tax return. (laughs) You know, at least they were giving me my money back. (laughs) You know, all I'm doing now is just paying money out of my butt, man. That money I don't have, I'm always in the red. I'm not making a profit. I just need to shut this down. And most of them, one year, two years, it's a wrap, son. See ya. You know, then they become, like I said last week, it's that dude you run into at the Home Depot. You know, with his orange apron on, (laughs) Who who sees sees you walking in with your gym shirt on? And he's like, yeah, man, I used to be a trainer. (laughs) But, you know, man, it got hard. So, you know, I had to get a real job, man. But, you know, I'll do this for a little while. You know, I'll probably get back to it, you know. I'm just putting in a couple more years here at Home Depot. No, because next they're going to move you up make you like a system manager. And you're going to be happy with that. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, once you you have
1: a plan B, you can forget about plan A. And that's that's whenever I hear someone saying, well – you know, if this doesn't work out, I'll go do this. I'm like, just go, do, to it. Fall go on. do it now because you're not going to make it work. I mean, when I got into this business, first of all, this is the only thing that this, I feel like I'm made to do this. This is what I'm made to do be a fitness expert, fitness professional, whatever you want to call it, because this has been a hobby of mine for a long time. It's something I'm good at, it's something I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about, it's something I spend a lot of my free time researching and learning new things. So I, I know this is what I'm destined to do. So when I got into this business, finally, after delaying it and distracting myself and almost going out of my way to avoid doing what I know I would be great at, mm-hmm. when I finally did it, I my attitude was, "This is it. I don't want to do anything else. So I'm either going to make this happen or forget it." And it was, yes. and, that, and that was what I. And then when I had that turning point where I'm thinking about, "Okay, I need to go work at this job or do this," the right move was put all your energy into, your ju- into this business instead of going and working for someone else and trying to come back to fight another day. No, and yeah. I'm, not, I'm not telling other people how to live their life, okay? This is what I knew was best for me. So you have to decide what's best for you. You're a grown person, so I don't be like, oh, well, Mike said that, uh, you know.
0: Oh, no, 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 we did not say that. <laughs> Mike was sharing his experience, and Sincere told you 20 minutes ago in this, in this podcast, these are our opinions and our truths, a.k.a. we own this for ourselves anything that we share we're just sharing okay we're not telling you what to do Exactly. what i always tell people
1: is this don't try to do this business or any other on the side because that's a surefire way to fail so if you're saying well i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep my full-time job but then i'm gonna do this on the side and then when the side Uh. when the side income matches my full-time job then i'll quit well, that just sounds dandy in theory, doesn't it? It not sound like a really nice, seamless transition? Well, life doesn't work that way. Life is chaotic. We, we don't have these seamless transitions in life most of the time. Most of the time, as my brother Roger always says, life is full of double bookings, where you're trying to do one thing and then five other problems happen at the same time, and then you have to deal with all of that. That's just the way it is. So the reality is, is that you want to make this business work, or any other business, it's going to take a full-time commitment. You can't just make it a little hobby on the weekend unless that's all you want
0: it to be. A little bit of a hobby. And That's what I was about to say. When you said, you know, doing things on the side, look, the only thing you're gonna be doing on the side is your hobby. Okay? Right. <laughs> and and that's it. And well somebody said, Well what if my hobby starts making me a lot of money? Well it seems like if you seem like you put a lot more attention to your hobby than than your so called quote unquote real job. <laughs> which that's a hint. You need to stop because I guarantee you, if you put a lot of attention to your hobby because it's actually becoming profitable, you're making money from it, and it's doing better than your real job, I would guarantee you, you're, as far as your performance at your real job, you suck. Because <laughs> your mind's not in it. You're too busy thinking about your side hobby. Right. So there's no way you can give 100% attention to two different things. The math doesn't add up. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> okay? No, it's true.
1: And I I think a lot of, a lot of people get enticed by fitness marketing and becoming a quote unquote fitness marketing expert because that's what trainers want to spend a lot of money on. Like my buddy, actually our mutual friend, Christian Villa, a really good UK trainer. And I was hanging out with him in Brighton uh, last time I was in the UK and he said, uh, Sabina Scala was there too and we're all having this really good conversation. She's another awesome UK trainer. And she was basically saying – she was basically – we're having this discussion on what, what appeals to trainers, what kind of information do trainers want. And we're going back and forth, back and forth, and then Christian finally jumped in, and he's like, look, what trainers want is how to make more money. <laughs> you know, that's what yeah. they're paying money for. So they're not interested in, in a course on you know, how to improve their Olympic lifting technique or how to do a better kettlebell swing or how to kettlebell press a lot of weights unless it's going to make them more money. What, they, what, they're, what they're going to blow a lot of money on is how to make more money. Now, as a result of that mentality, a lot of fitness marketing experts totally exploit that because they're like, you know what? I'm just going to put out this course on how to do this and I'm going to have a bunch of buzzwords in there and so forth. And now, all of a sudden, all these trainers are going to come to my courses and I'm just going to just shove <laughs> them up and down with a bunch of garbage on how to do stuff. And when I, when I lectured at these events, the one thing I made really clear is that this is going to be hard work. It's like, you know, I'm giving you guys strategies that I know work, but don't think for a second that this means that you're not going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work really hard. And don't think for a second that it's going to work the same exact way for you that it did for me. You know, This is an evolving marketplace. Things are always changing. So you want to, you want to start with good concepts such as being true to your brand. Developing a brand which is an honest assessment of who you are, rather than what you think will make you money, and then writing about topics, video blogging about topics, teaching about topics that are actually of genuine interest to you, not stuff that you think is going to make you money. It's like, yeah, you know what? Pilates may make
0: money, but I don't want to do it. All right, so I'm not going to. No, trust me, because when I see a reformer, you know, the first when it comes when I see a reformer at Pilates studio, the last thing I'm thinking about is sitting there pulling on the cords and all that. I'm thinking about picking that thing up, flipping it over, and, and just see how many times I can flip that thing over and over and pick it up and try to put it over my head and lift it. That's my mentality, okay? So we're not going to see those things the same way. And it's funny that you, just what we were saying about the branding situation, you know, I think that's the one thing that scares the living crap out of so many people in the fitness industry because so many come into the fitness industry as – people who've studied exercise science. They're into the whole aspect of the exercise itself and trying to make people, help people to be better through the aspect of health, fitness, wellness, exercise, blah, blah, blah.
1: Right.
0: What's missing through that entire vision, they see the methods. They see the client or the person receiving the methods, but they, they fail to see where it all starts, and that's with themselves. And them as the coach or the trainer. They don't understand that, look, okay, yeah, now trust me, 30 minutes ago, yeah, I I said I couldn't stand celebrity trainers, (laughs) you know, the ones on television anyway. But my thing is a lot of coaches and trainers who are not on television, just everyday folks, don't see themselves as a brand. They don't see themselves as a celebrity. Look here, when you have people constantly asking you questions about their health and their fitness and they see you, as the, their go-to person, guess what? You are now an expert in their eyes. Right. You, know, I, I want to, you know, the thing is, you're doing the thing that so many of them want to do, at least from what they can see. They don't really know exactly. You could be, you know, you, like said, you could be ripped and who knows what, but you're probably eating the crappiest stuff ever. You're probably living on protein shakes. They'll never know, <laughs> you know, but the thing is, they're coming to you because in their eyes, they can only go by what they see in the beginning. Right. So the thing right. is, they're kind of looking at you like a celebrity. It's kind of like um, this old theory. Somebody's like, you know, every fifth grader is a celebrity, you know, to a fourth grader, okay, for the most part. They're going to always look up to that person. So you've got to get over yourself and quit thinking that it's bad to, to actually think that what you're doing is actually making a big impact. You say you want to make an impact, but when you're making an impact and all eyes are on you, You freeze up and tuck your tail between your legs. You try to back out of the spotlight. No, my thing is, if you truly know what you're doing, you truly know what you're talking about, you truly are passionate about what you're doing, don't be afraid to step up, man, and be in the spotlight because guess what? The spotlight needs more people who are passionate about what they're doing, who truly want to help folks. And, yeah, there's nothing wrong with actually making an income along the way by being in that spotlight. as long as you stay true, to being that person that's providing good information and good products and, and you're on top of your game, you're, you're constantly in the field doing things, then you have nothing to feel ashamed about. Now, if you're a liar and you're just sitting there like – copying other people's programs or if you're just doing like a certain person did recently when I had to point out to Mike, like, hey, man, I didn't know that you were, like, you know, a part of this guy's website. I like how your video's all over the thing promoting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're stealing, you know, content off other people's sites and their copy and things like that, then, yeah, you should feel ashamed when you, all of a sudden you get in the spotlight and you don't see your, you shouldn't see yourself as a brand. Yeah, I mean, the only brand you are, you're a brand thief. <laughs> you know, you're a liar. So, and guess what? We have enough of people who are branded as that, and they're called politicians, Okay, so we don't need another politician in the world. So my thing is, if you are all about, you know, getting the quality information out there quality goods, and you, dude, write about it, blog about it, you know, get the videos going or whatever, just be confident in what you're doing. and Honestly, the one thing you need to keep in mind when you're filming, you don't worry about who's watching those videos when you're doing videos on YouTube. So don't worry about it because if you start thinking about, I wonder who's going to see this, then you're not going to be your authentic self. You're either going to try to be someone that you're not, or you're going to feel really nervous about the things that you have to say because you think it might come off as this, come off as that, somebody might get offended, blah, blah. You know, honestly, you're not going to please everyone. So that's your first rule as a business owner right there and an entrepreneur. Quit trying to please everyone. It's just not going to happen. In fact, that's not even going to happen in life. You can't be everyone's friend, nor should you want to be. <laughs> okay? So – that, that's just that's my take right. on that man so right. my thing is be a brand don't don't you know be a brand but don't get branded okay right. think about that yeah, yeah. so
1: now, i think the problem that a lot of people have is in terms of developing their own brand their own system etc is that now it's all on you so in other words if you get a lot of praise that's great but when you get a lot of mm-hmm. flack there's no one else to run to you have to defend yourself and what i mean by that is I mean, let's say that you decide you just want to. I'll give an example of my experience in the business. Actually, when I used to be involved with Dragon Door or actually, Pobble's not even involved with them anymore. <laughs> <I thought laughs> was, but anyway, Pobble's previous organization, when I used to be there with Steve Cotter and Steve Maxwell, Jeff Mortone, Nate Morrison, a whole bunch of us, that's all started off our kettlebell careers there. And it, it was good for us initially, for sure. We, we learned a lot from Pavel, who is a very good instructor. We learned we got in front of a lot of people. It was, a lot of, it was a very symbiotic relationship. I did a lot of stuff that helped them because I was very busy myself building my brand and being in the field. They did things that helped me. It was all good. But eventually it got to a point where I had to decide what I really wanted for myself. And what I mean by that is this, as long as I stayed in the Dragon Door organization as one of Pavel's inner circle guys, one of his top guys. All I would ever be known as is one of Pavel's top guys. That's it. And I would basically be known as a guy who teaches his system. So people Mm -hmm. would come to me because maybe they can't afford to go to Pavel or maybe it's more convenient to come to one of my workshops, even though I had already started developing my own little kettlebell system, my own way of doing stuff, which rapidly evolved when I left the organization. But I was already in that pathway. So I had to decide whether I'm okay with that. Do I want to just be part of someone else's vision, which is fine. If that's all you want, that's fine. If you, if you honestly ask yourself that question and the answer is yes, more power to you. But for mm-hmm. me, I decided, you know what? As long as I stay here, that's all I'm ever going to be, and is if I want to build my own entity, my own brand, be known for being Mike Mahler, aggressive strength coach or just Mike Mahler in general, I have to leave the comfort of home. you know, This is like living at home with your parents, the parent. Comes, right. And I have to go branch off on my own completely with no support from them whatsoever and build this whole thing on my own. And I decided that I wanted to be known for being me, my own guy. I had so many different things I wanted to get into and I wouldn't be able to do all of that. If I'm too busy trying to build someone else's brand, their vision and what right. they want to do. There wasn't enough leadership opportunities for me to, to be content there And it honestly, it felt too much like a lot of negatives of working for someone else without any of the positives, meaning that there were clear dictations on what you can or can't do with your business, even though I'm not getting paid a salary or given medical benefits or anything like that. Now, the whole (laughs) point of me becoming an entrepreneur was to do it my way, the way I want to do it. So, I mean, that was another thing that I was like, forget it. I don't want anyone telling me what I can or can't do with my business. Now, I'm not talking about you know, the government's saying you can't sell cocaine. I'm not going to do anything illegal, obviously. <laughs> but within the realms of what's legal, I want to do what I want to do with my business, and I'm fully prepared to deal with the repercussions of that. So what I mean is once I – now when someone criticizes me or my system, I can't say, well, Paulville said this and use him as support. I have to take full ownership of it and – defend based on my own knowledge base, which I'm perfectly fine doing. I have no problem doing that whatsoever. That's fine with me. I don't have to run home to daddy or mommy or
0: someone else to defend myself. But- yeah, you know what I call that, man? I call that, I call that the, the Malcolm X before Mecca syndrome. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Like, you know, Before Malcolm X traveled to Mecca on his own, before he started getting ostracized and started getting blackballed by the Nation of Islam, before that, anytime you would talk to Malcolm, any interview, you can go on YouTube and find them. Find Malcolm while he was still one of the top ministers in the nation of Islam, and you will see every time he opens his mouth, well you know Mr. X, how do you see blah 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 blah?
1: Elijah Muhammad
0: well Elijah Muhammad teaches us blah 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 so Malcolm, what do you think about this? Well, the Elijah Muhammad teaches us blah 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 you know and and I noticed that even with certain organizations in the fitness industry, you know it's just like, well, you know and like i said we've we've discussed and we've talked little Pavel brought a lot to the kettlebell industry and brought a lot over here to America. And one thing about it is I I used to see a lot of people, like when I first got into kettlebells and I was, you know, trying to learn more about it, I would ask, like, you know, well, man, you know, how do you, you know, what's this, this, and this about kettlebells? Well, Pavel teaches us this. Pavel teaches us that. I'm like, okay, wh- okay I'm talking to you right now, dude. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what this dude is. And from what you told me, he's in Minnesota. Okay, and trust me, this is like 2005, something like that. I'm like, I'm here in Texas, and you're in my face right now, and I'm talking to you, and I've, ca- I've asked you, what can you show me here in Houston, Texas, regarding kettlebells? Well, Pavel says that we need to blah, 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 and you should blah. Oh, God, dude, are you serious? I'm like, I've been through this phase in my life before, okay, during my early college years when I was learning about Malcolm X and all this. I, I understand this syndrome you're going through. <laughs> so, and I was put off by that because I really wanted to learn from that coach, that coach at that time that I was talking to. You know, I didn't want to hear about, at that point, because I hadn't really heard of Powell at the time. To me, it was this this – this spirit, this figure, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, I don't even know who this is. I'm talking to you. And I I get it. I I understand this is the system that he's teaching and you're teaching it as well. But what are you going to bring to the table and cater it to what I'm asking for right here? And another thing that reminds me of this network marketing as well. You know, these, (laughs) I know, I know that gets you fired up. (laughs) I know that's a whole different podcast right there, but it reminds me of network marketing because, Somehow, you know, you'll sit there and lie to yourself, saying that I'm building a business. No, you're not. You're building someone else's business. You're you're feeding someone else's dream. And you know what? I'm not even mad at the person who's ever the the head of that, who owns that network marketing company that you're working for. You know what? I'm looking. I'm looking at you, cockeyed, because you honestly think that you are truly a owner of this business. Well, I tell you this. Let's just say they do something tax-wise, like a tax evasion situation with the IRS. (laughs) I bet you you're going to separate yourself really quickly from that business, aren't you? Or let them get some major lawsuits because their product really didn't work and some people died behind it or something like that. I'm pretty sure all of a sudden that's not your business anymore, and you still, oh, I don't sell that anymore. I'll stop, man. You
1: can walk away from it at any time, which means it's not your business, and also the fact that... I always laugh when a network marketer will pitch you. He's like, or he or she will be like, yeah, I want to tell oh, you sorry. about my my <laughs> business. It's like it's not your business. You're not you're not you're not one of the owners or a major stockholder or anything like that. And then they they always use silly phrases like, hey, do you use soap? Well, let me tell you about my company. <laughs> <laughs> do you use toilet paper? Let me tell you about my company's toilet paper. So, oh man, just you to church it. It's detergent why like love that. Just for, I mean, I, I, i'm very good i'm like the ninja of debating network marketing so when i what when i when someone someone on a pl- like these guys will try to talk to you whenever they feel like they have a captive audience so if you sit next to a network marketer on the plane he or she is going to bring up that crap now somehow they are going to wish they never brought it up ever if they have the misfortune of sitting next to me on a plane because i will have them convinced that network marketing is making a deal with the devil before the plane lands. They're going to give up the business before it lands. I'm going to I'm going to counter pitch them so well they're going to be like, oh man, this guy's right. This guy this guy's right, man. I've been I've been I've been under this allure of this spell of this garbage for a long time. I better quit because I I know that industry and all the flaws so well. I mean, we could even do a whole show on on that. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely do that. We'll 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 do that down the road, and we'll even bring in on some experts who can kind of give us both sides of the coin, like people that are pro network marketing, someone who's anti, and you guys decide for yourself. Then I think that would be a really interesting topic. But like you said, it, it's it's the problem is with a lot of trainers is that they they have a really hard time dealing with flack, and I've had good friends who got in the business and once people started talking smack about them they just couldn't take it they gave up because it, they just internalized it so much that it was too much for them so i mean you have to realize that anytime you put yourself on a public platform whether it's a youtube clip or you wrote a book or you know you wrote you wrote a you made a video there's going to be people that think it sucks that's just the reality of it and hopefully more people like it than not otherwise you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out why it bombed so badly But you can write something that – you can write the best book in the world, and someone's going to think it sucks. You can make a killer video. Someone's going to think it sucks. Someone's going to say it sucks just to mess with you because that's the internet mm-hmm. wussy world we
0: have. we got these idiots. The, who get the on keyboard YouTube. warriors, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, the, the KB-dubs, KB dubs, man. That's what I call them. The KB-dubs <laughs> are going to get you. <laughs> the keyboard warriors. Yeah, so you
1: if those are kind of things that are going to bother you, then don't bother getting into our business because you no. can't be so worried of like, oh, I better not put this out there because someone may say it sucks. I mean if you're even wasting your time thinking of that, you're in the wrong business. Now, you can, now, now, what people will do, though, which is kind of like a compromise between not doing it and then building your own brand, is just stay within someone's organization where you stay behind that person. So when yeah. someone criticizes you, you can say, well, you know, Valery taught me how to do this, or Pavel taught me how to do this, or Charles Poliquin told me how to do this, and then you can just use their name as a way to deflect the focus on you. Which
0: sucks. Which absolutely sucks.
1: (laughs) As big as any of those people by doing that. You have to take full ownership of it. So, when you recommend something and someone says it sucks, you have to be able to defend yourself. You also have to be able to eat crow every once in a while. Because sometimes you may recommend something, and then a couple years later, you're like, oh, that wasn't a (laughs) recommendation. And then what do you do at that point? Do you try to just cover up the dirt? No, that's not possible the internet everything is immortal on the internet so if you said something 5 years ago and i i'm speaking personally you know i've yeah, written I've, done stuff, too. I've written stuff where i look back on it now and i'm like oh man what was i thinking when i wrote that but you yeah. know, it's what i thought at the time but when someone asks me now i'll be like look man i'll be honest with you i didn't i i years later i looked i realized that that was flawed and here's why and and that's the end of that rather than try to deflect it or bury it or hope no
0: one finds out about it you know exactly <laughs> Oh, trust me, I get it all the time. You know, I'll post some food, man, and it's like, man, I see you posting food of meat. <laughs> you, know, posting, you know, meats and things. I thought you were vegetarian. Right. No, I was. Well, what happened? Oh, I thought, well, first thing that was, so many people say, I thought you were vegan just because you and I are friends. Right, so, right. <laughs> the only way you and I are going to be friends, I'm going to have to be a vegan. Just to let you know, Mike. So so after this call, our friendship is over. Because <laughs> cause I just had venison kofta <laughs> for breakfast this morning. So – yeah, I know that's a deal breaker with us. After I saw that in your fridge, I was
1: like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do workshops with you here anymore.
0: <laughs> to my God forbid that a vegan actually stayed over in this media at his house you know, a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah, what is true. the world going to think? think? All your paleo friends are going to be disappointed that, that we're – uh, no. <laughs> Like, did you, did, you, did, did you put some meat in Mike's food, you know, in his breakfast? Did you put some meat in his protein shake? Diet- <laughs> like, first of all, I didn't serve him. I wasn't his little butler for the weekend.
1: You know what the he problem looked- with diet is? Is that when – People, whenever anyone tries to tell you how you should be eating, it's so moronic, it's not even funny. Because, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to tell you, it's one thing to share information. So I may say, look, here's some of the things that I do that I think work, recommendations, et cetera. This is a good way to go. Like, you know, general guidelines like low glycemic carbohydrates, balance of protein, carb, fat, you know, those, those are general guidelines that are reasonable and so forth. But yes. beyond that, you have to personalize nutrition to yourself. You have to become your own nutritionist at some point. And through years of experimentation, you'll be able to figure it out. Like I know exactly what works well for me at this point. I know how I respond to certain foods. I know how to modify my diet to achieve different goals and so forth. So I've I've made the vegan diet work. So I'll always – that doesn't mean that I'm going to try to make everyone else do it. So when someone comes to me for a nutrition program, I don't put them on a vegan diet unless they want to be, unless they're telling me, look, I want to transition to that. I'm like, okay, I'll help you out with that. Otherwise, I'll help them within the parameters of what they're trying to achieve, what they like to eat, et cetera, because that's what a good coach does. Because my, my belief system with why I eat a certain way is basically like my own religion. So I'm not going to impose that on other people unless they want me to help them with that. It doesn't mean that I'm going to hide the fact that I follow a vegan diet or talk about it or put out information about it, but I'm not going to push that upon people. I'm not going to basically say, well, look, if you want to work
0: with me then you have to do this, because that's just ridiculous. And the bottom yeah, and I think that's a big mistake that's happening in this industry right now. You have too many people just like, well, I'll help you, but you know, you have to do this so-and-so challenge for the next 30 days and eliminate this and this and this. That's the reason why I do and I, and I told you about this a couple of months ago. That's one of the reasons why I was working with a uh, friend of mine in the industry to put together that software program to really kind of help people throughout all that crap right there. So therefore, they can really learn – how certain foods are going to function with their body. And not, not when I say certain foods, I'm not saying that, you know, minus meat, minus this, minus that, but more like, okay, when you're eating this ratio of food, when you're eating th- your food this way, this is how it's going to break down with your metabolism at this certain time when you're doing this activity and when you're doing this, this, and this, and make it in a way that is actually finally understandable. Because a lot of times, a lot of people in my industry, the problem is, They've they've been in the industry so long and so out of touch with the outside world, just like you were talking about some of these fitness marketing guys who no longer train or whatever. You have a lot of these fitness people who've never been out, who don't go out in the outside world and hang out with people other than more fitness people. So they don't truly know how to speak the language anymore of just the people who are not in the industry and make it understandable. So they're spitting out a bunch of scientific jargon and they're talking about all these, you know, the triglycerides are going to break down like this, and then you know you got your estrogen receptors are taking it. What? The hell are you saying, man? You know that's how they're looking at you. They're giving you the Scooby-Doo look when you talk to some Joe Blow on the street. They're kind of giving you that, <laughs> you know. And then guess what? After you say triglycerides, you finally became right after that you become Charlie Brown's teacher. So anything else you tell them is like, wah, 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 and they like, and they can't wait to get the hell away from you so they can go get their triple double whopper or whatever, <laughs> you know, and feel better about it because they know that. Okay, they know it's crap, but they know it tastes good to them, and it's just like you know what. This is easy. What he was talking about, I don't even understand what he's saying. So I know I probably won't be able to follow it, you know, and follow the advice he was giving because I don't even understand what he was trying to tell me. Right. So this makes it very like understandable, and you know, it's, that's why I'm I'm so happy to like really, like you said, finally I'm working with something. You know, I'm working with something that I've used. i you know, I'm like I put myself in the shoes of someone else. So someone that's not in this industry. So if I was just trying to really learn how to dial in my food and figure the nutrition part out without going broke with a nutritionist or whatever else, and some people, you know, not in a position to hire us as coaches to put programs together for them, you know, whatever, as far as food and everything else, you know, I, I can make peace with that. Some people can't. They're like, no, I, they, if, they, if they call me, I know I, I, I got to sell them. I got to sell them. Everybody may not be in that position, you know, to buy all of our services right off the bat, but it doesn't mean you just leave them neglect them. I saw enough of that when I worked at Bally's, man. I worked there for a month just to see how they run things, and <laughs> one thing just pissed me off. You know, they would tell us. First, the funniest thing is this: when you first start working there, I think the other big box gyms, the big box gyms, do the same thing. They'll tell their trainers that they just hire. You know, before you go and start working, you're gonna have to go and do training for you know two to three days. Now, training, in my mind, is like, okay, especially when you're just starting off in this industry, you're thinking they're going to teach you, you know, like, okay, this is how we're going to, you know, get a new client and walk them through and get them started with a program and help them progress through the program and get them on their way and help them with their, you know, with their success. No. (laughs) <laughs> Two things happen in training. <laughs> now, my, we, we did pick up some weights for about five minutes, okay, and everybody's form is horrendous. It's laughable for me to even think back and look at that, <laughs> where you have this big bodybuilding head trainer guy trying to show us how to do these exercises and show our clients how to do it. And, and now I look back, like, the form was horrible. <laughs> they spent most of the, those days teaching us about sales, like pretty much getting them through the door, getting them in the office, pitching them on this, pitching them on this program, trying to get them to buy the biggest personal training package they can, and – the one thing that really bothered me most was if they're not going to buy a package, you know, pretty much after they have their free trial workout, that's it. So I would sit there some days, and I'm, I'm just walking, I'm cleaning the floor, I'm, you know, walking the floor, and I would see people struggling on certain exercises. The form is bad, and they'll stop and ask, like, hey, can you, can you show me how to do this? Like on the lat pull down or something. Can you show me how to do this? And I would start helping them. And then here comes my boss you don't come over like hey hey can can i talk to you for a second hey they didn't buy a package so you know you you can't be helping them (laughs) i'm like are you serious what happens when that bar falls down his freaking neck you know on bench over there and you get a lawsuit yeah i know man you know it's just you know things like that may happen but we're not supposed to help them if they haven't bought a package yeah. So I'm still like, you know, I'm thinking like, are they serious right now? Um, so basically these big box gyms are like no different than like we were talking about last week, like the used car salesmen. They're yeah. just grimy and they're all about trying to just sell, sell, sell. They could care less about, you know, your yeah. fitness, your goals yeah. or anything yeah. like that. You're not a human to them. You're just another number and a piece of paper and it's, it pisses me off.
1: The ideal client for a gym is someone who signs up for two years and never comes back. And that's what they want. They want that. Guys like – you know, I go to a local gym around the corner from my house about once or twice a week, and I have a nice home gym setup. But I go there just to get out of the house and be around regular people like what you're talking about because people come up to me. They ask me questions. These are not professional gym people. These are just people going to the gym. So it kind of gives me a pulse on the average person. And it kind of gives me – keeps me one foot in that world, and it gets me out of the house for variety and things like that. And there's some nice people I get to chit-chat with there and so forth. But uh, whenever I'm there, it's obvious to me – and this is a nice gym. It's not like valleys where they hard sell people who walk in the door and so forth. But the right. most important thing is getting people in the door, getting them signed up, and getting them out because yep. these gyms are charging as little as 5 10 $15 a month. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. If every single person who's a member paying 10 bucks a month showed up at the same time, <laughs> we would have to wait in line for like three hours to even get into the gym. Now, that's never going to happen because – and that's kind of a sad statement that that never happens. It just shows you how few people actually even use or even value a gym membership. So they'll go sign up. They have access to all this equipment where they could get a great workout in a couple times a week. And get in shape and so forth. But the sad reality is they're never going to come back. They're going to see that $10 bill on their credit card every month, and they're going to say, well – It's just $10. I'll probably go next week or I'll go next month. Or it's such a low amount that it's not even worth the time it takes to call up and cancel. And that's why they charge so little because they know that. If they charged you 50 bucks a month and you saw that on your statement and you haven't gone You in- cancel. Yeah.
0: Gonna- you know, if it's $10, bucks, you are thinking like, well, you know what? It's 10 bucks, and if I cancel now, I'll never be able to join again with that price again. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> well, you're not doing anything with the 10 bucks now. What makes you think later on you're going to come back? <laughs> but the lowest person, the, yeah. the, the, the
1: employees that are lowest on the totem pole, and this is not necessarily the gym I go to, but just ones I've been to on average, like 24-hour fitness, Valleys especially – You know, gold's gym. But Bally's especially the lowest person on the totem pole is the personal trainer. Personal trainer. They could care less about you, which is really ironic given that it's a gym. Personal trainers should be treated like the gods of the place. Like
0: everybody should No, trust me, this is what they do. It's like you only get paid if the client shows up. You the personal trainer, yeah. and you'll probably make. It just depends who you are. At least back then, they were getting like twenty bucks. You know, you know, twenty <laughs> bucks per session. So of course, what does that personal trainer try to do? You're on the phone calling these people, trying to get them to show up, and you're trying to get someone every freaking hour that you're at work. So the, it's so, But it was funny. There are a lot of people who started out in the personal training business on their own who have the same mentality. They're not making twenty dollars an hour. They may charge fifty dollars a session. Or, you know, 75 or 100. But at the same time, you only have so many hours in a day. So what happens is they're booked from ash crack 30 in the morning all the way until like 8, 9 o'clock. And somewhere throughout all that time, throughout that 12 to 15 hours of work, they did not train at all. They're not getting their own workout in. So eventually they're kinda of letting themselves go or whatever, or they're doing some silly diet to try to appear small while they're wearing a lot of black. So so what happens is they're no different than the guys at the big box gym, but in their minds they're thinking like, Well, I own my own personal training business and I'm doing so much better than the dude at Bally's. No, you're really not, because you both are not having time for yourselves. You're both on the paper chase. You're chasing out every client you can get. You're not living, you're not loving, you're not enjoying this business. You're working, you have a job. So you're, first of all, personal trainer, business owner, you're so still an employee. You're still an employee. You're a slave to your business. So you're no different than the $20 a session trainer at Bally's. And, you know, uh, trainer. yeah, the thing about that, too, if the client doesn't show up at Bally's, that trainer is pretty much, he only makes, like, if he's lucky, they'll pay a minimum wage for the time he's there which they're just paying them to make phone calls to get people there and ask them why they didn't show up. Otherwise, they need to go and clean the floor or go and walk around and make sure everything's all put up nicely. Okay, dude, you can get more action working on the grill at McDonald's and make more, (laughs) you know, even if you were part-time. Hell, you can go back to school and be a a part-time student and then work on campus part-time, and that's a state job if you're working at a state university, which you pretty much can't get fired from. (laughs) So you will be doing a lot better there And then if you're smart You'll get like a scholarship or whatever else And get an excess amount of money So there's a business That's why you have career students Okay (laughs) They don't plan on graduating ever Like for what? (laughs) Look at all this free money I'm getting
1: (laughs) That's true That happens all the time I think uh, when young guys or some of the guys that are trainers at the gym I go to, you know, they, they'll recognize me or they'll, they'll find out about me after they've seen me working out hard there a couple times and so forth and be like, oh, what's this guy all about? And then they'll check out my website and so forth. And then they'll start asking me questions on how to progress in the business and so forth. And what I'll often tell them is, look, what you're doing is not a bad idea to start. You're, you're test driving this whole personal training thing at someone else's gym. So you're, getting, you're, you're working with a lot of clients. I mean, this, this gym actually does bring in quite a few people where these trainers do get clients, and then they bring in their own as well. So whenever I see these trainers, they're always training someone, which is good. They're not just sitting around at the desk like what you're talking about, trying to get people in. So that's a good thing about this gym I go to. But I always tell them, I'm like, eventually you're going to want to branch off on your own if you really want to be serious about this thing. But this is not a bad first step for you to, to determine whether this is really something you want to do. You know, it's better to find that out on someone else's time clock than on your own. Yeah. You Don't want to blow a lot of money trying to start a business, and then a year into it, you're like, man, I don't really like this. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, never, you never know until you do it. You know, you may think, oh man, I'd love to be in that industry, and then you do it, and you're like, nah, this not is, so much. This is not, what I, this is not what I thought it would be. I mean, you know, what's funny? One of the reasons why I never, one of the reasons why I delayed getting into the fitness industry is because. I didn't want to just be a guy at a gym training people, and I had a very myopic view of the fitness industry, so I pretty much thought that was really the only pathway. It's like you just get a job at a gym, and maybe you get your own practice training people all day long, and that's that. And Then when I started looking at people like Charles Poliquin and Charles Staley and uh, Pavel it's just a different people that were doing a much different business model, where they were writing right. books, making videos, and doing workshops. And I was like, you know what? I bet that's a good fit for me because I have a background in writing for my college degree. I like writing. I have good public speaking skills, which have gotten a lot better since I've been in this industry. But I had that coming into the industry. And I like the idea of teaching a workshop where you travel around and you get people in front of you and and so forth. So when I I came across kettlebell training – I felt like that was my gateway into the fitness industry because I didn't really have a unique selling point before that. So in other words, I would have just gotten in and maybe I would have done boot camps or taught powerlifting. You know, who knows what I would have done if I just tried to get in without kettlebells. But when I started training with kettlebells, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I really got into it to the point where I canceled the gym membership and I just started training with kettlebells only. And I, so I, I realized what the pros are. And years later, the pros and cons but I really liked it as a, an effective home-based gym system. I felt that one or two kettlebells, you're good to go, and that that's all the average person wants, to be strong and fit. They're not trying to deadlift 500 pounds or bench press 300 or you know, be a, a marathon runner or whatever. They want a good home-based gym system where they can get a great workout in 20, 30 minutes, a couple times a week. So I knew kettlebells would be something that took off, but rather than just opening up a kettlebell gym, and doing a lot of classes all day. And I'm not even saying that's bad. That, that's perfectly fine if that's what you want to do. What I'm saying, though, is that my personal assessment of myself is that I knew that's not what I wanted to get into. So if I chose right. to do that, I probably would have given up on the business altogether. But what I did do is really assess what I like doing. I like writing articles. I like teaching workshops. I like designing programs for people online. I still do it now. I don't have to do it now. It's it's my lowest income source out of everything I do, personalized program design, and I have a long waiting list for people to get in. I still like doing it because it keeps me sharp. I like designing programs, assessing people's goals, helping them fine-tune things. It's fun for me, and it also keeps my brain sharp. It gives, It's like a mental chess game for me to figure out things and so forth, and it keeps you honest because I want to be in an industry where... When I give a lecture at one of my workshops, I don't want to talk about some program I designed for a guy five years ago. I want to talk about what I'm doing now because I'm way more knowledgeable now. So I was very honest about what I wanted to focus on. So I just focused on workshops, writing articles, doing online consulting. I did private training when I first started my business, but I knew that I would phase that out eventually once I got the whole workshop thing going. So when people hear me say this, they're like, oh, okay, workshops, that's where the money's at. So I'm going to start doing what Mike does. It's like, no, 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 no. That's what the money is at for me (laughs) because I like doing it and I know how to market it very well and I've been doing it for a long time. So you don't want to, like we said last week, you don't want to go, oh, that's how you make money. I'm going to start doing workshops or like, oh, he's making videos. That's how you make money. No, you want to do those things because you actually have a strong interest in doing those. So if you want to be successful in our industry or really any industry, before you even get in, have an idea of what you think you would like doing. It may change once you start playing around with stuff, but you want to have an idea of what you want your focus to be. It may be weekly classes at your backyard. Like Lauren Brooks does that really good kettlebell instructor. She has people come over. I think even more than once a week, she has a nice backyard setup. People come over to the house. they are people have become like her friends, extended family. She loves it. She doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't really want to travel the world teaching big courses because she's got kids and she likes her home life. So there you go. Is what she is what she is doing wrong and what I'm doing right? No. What I'm doing is right for me, what she's doing is right for her. It works for both of us. She's successful exactly. with me, I'm successful at mine. Me, I like traveling around the world, meeting different people, teaching courses. I think it's a blast, man. I think it's like a dream job or I get to go to Australia for two weeks and make a lot of money as opposed to going there on vacation and blowing, you spend a lot of money. <laughs> you know? So it, it's cool. so I mean, But again, that's what I like to do. Someone else may be like, I hate
0: traveling. I don't want to travel anywhere. <laughs> and- yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, it's, uh, my buddy, Mike house is the same way. He looks at what you and I do. He's like, ah, man, you, you can have it. I just rather, I don't like doing all that traveling. It's funny. I'm, I'm more of a mix of you and Lauren, you know, because of family, you know, I love to stay home sometimes, but I also love traveling. I, I, I've always been that kid that I always want to get out and see the world. I know so much out there for us to discover, and I want to go and see it. And that's just yeah. me personally. So I, I try to find a balance to do both. Because at the end of the day, even when I'm traveling, there's once you get back home, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. Yeah. Okay, it's just like nothing beats that. But nothing beats going out and experiencing the rest of the world and getting beyond your comfort zone, and what you're used to, and realizing that, you know, everything that you know is basically you don't know. (laughs) You know, all you can do is until you've experienced it, you really don't have an idea. You're going by someone else's experience. Somebody else is telling you the story. And so I don't want to just live off other people's stories. I want to go and – the things that interest me, I want to go and check them out. Okay, so the thing is, I – I really want to go and check out, like we've, you and I have been talking about this, I want to check out Costa Rica. I'm, I don't want to hear anybody else's story about Costa Rica anymore. Okay, I'm going for myself. I want to go see. You know, and, yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, I may want to move there one day. But guess what? That's not going to come from a couple of visits either. I'm going to have to immerse myself. So i I'm going to have to at least go spend at least a month or two there to make, you know, just to even see, like, ah. Uh, because then again, there's nothing worse than, like, you visited for a week, on a vacation, you're like, Yes, I'm going to move here. Then you get there, and it's all kinds of crap, and it's just like that, you know, the, everybody was friendly because you were a tourist, but yep. I'm not friendly now that you're a neighbor. Okay? <laughs> 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 because, because now, you know, I mean, the, the situation is different. You're not just trying to spend a bunch of money because you're a tourist that's going to go away. Now the person is kind of like sucking some of the economy and taking some of the money from them by opening up a business there. Wow. So you want to go and, you know, check it out. Just like you were talking about earlier, you know, with, um, with um, Machine Gun Preacher, you know, these people, sometimes people see these things going on, these atrocities going on in the world, and they may go and visit. You know, they may stay there for about a week or something like that. Then they're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, and they feel all bad or whatever. Or they're just desensitized and don't care when they see it on TV. But if you really want to know the atrocities, go stay there for about a month, okay, or maybe a little longer. You know, you've had, like you said, just like the central character of that movie, you know, he went there, but then eventually – he was there a lot longer than he planned on staying. Right. And then you can real when you immerse yourself in it, then you'll know really like, okay, is this what I really want to be doing? <laughs> you know, is this really where I want to take things? So, right. yeah, man. Dang, dude. Um, <laughs> Once again, a lot of time went by. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Talked about a lot of things here. <laughs> And once again, we didn't even talk about most of the stuff we said we were going to talk about.
1: Yeah, I think we covered uh, almost – we almost covered two of the topics that we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we chapped
0: on them a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, let's, let's do this. Let's let's save the whole mental toughness training for another show because there's actually a friend of mine named Jackson Yee. He's a really interesting guy who talks a lot about mental toughness training. He's a former bodybuilder, and then he really got into CrossFit-style workouts, and then he kind of found his own niche there. <laughs> So I already talked to him about being a guest on the show. So we I think okay. we should do one more show where it's just you and me talking about stuff, and then we'll start bringing on some guests like Jackson. And I know my friend Nate Morrison wants to come on. and So, we, I mean, we have a whole list of people that we can go to and start bringing on some interesting guests and – And that'll probably help us stay on target a little bit more too, because we have to interview. (laughs) But I think, I think, I think again, I I really want the podcast to be interesting conversations. So, people are going to listen and they're going to go, wow, that's these guys are talking about some interesting stuff. But I already, I can already tell some people are going to listen and be like, oh, all it is is a bunch of guys talking about things. I don't want to listen to. It's like, what's the point, guys? This and that. That's fine. Don't listen. Go find something else to do. Go, go back and watch. Seinfeld reruns or wherever you think is your <laughs> life. <laughs> that's fine because we're going to, we're going to bring up topics that we find interesting to ourselves, which is why we're both, we both sound interesting when we're talking right now. We're not talking about stuff that we could care less about because we think more people will listen if we do that. But let, let's just wrap up with one thing real quick where I wanted to talk real quick about some of the trends, like predicting some of the trends that are happening in our industry, the fitness industry And one thing I think is happening already is that the whole fitness information segment of our industry is going the way of the music industry many years ago. It's really interesting to see it because I see it happening right in front of us, where like in the music industry, it used to be you're a band. You try to get a major label record, and hopefully they sell a lot. Hopefully you make something out of it. A lot of times you got screwed over and didn't make a dime. But that was it. If you didn't play with the big boys, you didn't get your music out there. Then all of a sudden Napster came along. Everybody's sharing music back and forth. Bands like Metallica, who's who sold out, trying to crush it. I was really disappointed with Metallica with the way they went after Napster. I, I used to be a huge Metallica fan. And I still am a fan of Metallica's first three albums. The rest of it, that's a podcast in and of itself.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll definitely bring my boy, um, Bart Stewart, in on that one. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. But, yeah, man.
1: That was, that, that was like the end of the Metallica era. But, but anyway, that, yeah. that's like another show right there. But uh, what happened with Napster, is, as many of us know who listen, is that they blocked them from doing what they were trying to do. But it was just delaying the inevitable, which is basically if you're a band now, Good luck trying to make money selling songs, <laughs> you know unless you're like exactly. a, unless' you're beyonce or someone
0: like that, good luck, and even her she tours like crazy yeah, exactly, so it's not even the sales with her it's it's the licensing it's, it's all the extra things that come along with it. it's the sponsorships and it's the shows and that's when you, that's when you realize the, the record sales is not it 's not the name of the game, so that's when you have to become a brand. You know, and they they okay. tapped into that, and you know, a lot of guys, you know, in our industry, they're not, they're thinking like, well, if I just put out, you know, if I just keep putting out DVDs, or I just keep writing eBooks, you know, or if I just, you know, I start opening up more locations, you know, the thing is, they're spreading themselves thin, and it's just like this 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 ongoing battle of just doing more and more stuff, <laughs> you know, and being in the business of busyness, yeah.
1: so more when more they get all tracking, and they're right. gonna
0: get burned out, you know. Right.
1: So what's happening now in our industry? I mean, so basically bands have to tour a lot more. They have to sell more merchandise to kind of make up the difference. Now, mm-hmm. bands tried to fight this like Metallica back in the day. You can fight it all you want. You can't fight progress. I mean, you can't fight change, rather. It's when, it, when it starts happening, you better figure out a way to make it work. Adapt or, yeah. or you're screwed. So what's happening yep. right now with the fitness industry is that fitness information products like videos, ebooks, books books, etc., They're all going to become increasingly difficult to make money off of because there's so much free information on the internet, YouTube, all these different websites, et cetera. Now, many of you will be saying, yeah, but the information on YouTube sucks, and that's true, but not all of it, okay, because I'm on YouTube. (laughs) Sincerely, on YouTube. (laughs) Tim Blackburn's on YouTube. Steve Cotter, Steve Maxwell, Charles Poliquin, Charles Staley. I mean you name any really good strength coach he or she is on YouTube giving away good, free information. Now, when people say that, they're like, why are you guys giving away free information? You're not going to be able to sell your products anymore. It's like, well, that's a very short-sighted way to look at it. My attitude is that you're not going to be able to sell videos for much longer anyway. So you better get on the whole free information thing because otherwise you're going to be playing catch-up. You don't want to be that guy who started his YouTube channel five years from now with 10 viewers when you could have had 50,000 subscribers and you know, 10 million views And getting more people to your live events, your classes, your privates, your workshops, you're selling more t shirts, in my case, more supplements, you know, whatever. So the point is, is that you can't fight progress. DVD sales are going way down right now. That's just obvious. I mean, mine have definitely gone down. And I know if mine are going down, a lot of other people's are probably going down too. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, same thing with ebooks, books, et cetera, because there's so many books out there where you buy the book and then you're like, you know what? I could have found – an. I already read five articles that explain this better than this book did, and I didn't have to spend a dime on that. I mean we hear stories like that all the time. So what's happening now is – so people are like, well, if I, what about passive income? I want to make passive income. It's like, well, look, you have to find ways – personalization is what's going to keep you marketable. So in other yep. words, someone may read – watch a bunch of your YouTube clips and read your articles, but – that doesn't give that person, the individual, details on how to make that information work because it's not possible and nor should they expect that to be free. That's ridiculous. So, yes, you want to watch one of my videos for free? Sure. You want to read my ebook for free? Fine. But don't even think about coming to me for a free personalized program. That's not happening. That's where I have to spend a lot of time assessing your needs, what's going to work for you, and so forth. And I'm not a nonprofit organization. You know, I, I'm honest that I'm trying to make profit here. <laughs> you know? so that's not all I care about, but I run a business. So I don't mind giving away a lot of free information. I think it's a great way to build your business. It's goodwill. It's putting out things that help people. I have no problem with that. I know there's people out there who can't afford other things and my articles and YouTube clips really help those people, and, and that, that's great. I'm perfectly happy about that. I'm perfectly fine with that. But those same people shouldn't expect to be able to email me and give me their whole life story and expect me to design a personalized program for them for nothing. That's something you should have to pay for. So I think what protects you is personalized, specialized knowledge, where you're going to be able to do more phone consoles, you'll be able to do specialized teleseminars, specialized courses even specialized videos you have to make things more specialized in, instead of general as a way to keep yourself progressing in the business but the reality is it doesn't matter what is fair or unfair or what you like or what you don't like the trend is already happening right now so if you're someone who's making a lot of money off fitness information products and you're thinking you know what mike you're wrong i sold a thousand copies last year i'm i'm breaking it in what i'm trying to tell you is it's not going to be like that for a whole lot longer. And that doesn't mean that you you can never make money off a fitness video again, but you're going to have to find ways to do something different and not just another follow along workout, which is what everyone jumps on because nobody wants to think it's like, well, follow along workout videos are selling hell. I'm going to throw mine into the mix. And some of them are pretty good. Okay. In terms of that. And some of them are pretty good within the world that I don't like the concept, but in terms of an actual follow along workout, Something like P90X is not bad, Lisa Ballish, Lisa, uh, uh, Lauren Brooks, Steve Cotter. These guys all have follow-along videos that are well done for, for what they are. I'm not a fan of the whole genre, but for what it is, it's not bad. But the point is, is that even those are not going to work for that much longer because, again, like you said, you can't personalize the program to the individual. Personalization is where people are going to get the best results, period, It's why you make good progress, sincere with your own workouts and with your clients. It's why I do and with my clients because we personalize stuff to ourselves. We personalize it to our clients. That's what people are going to be looking for in the near future. So guess what that means? (laughs) It means you're actually going to have to work for a living. God, isn't that terrible? You're not going to be able to just sit back and ride the whole passive income thing with your video sales. You're actually going to have to train people in some capacity, whether it's a workshop or a class or a boot camp or a teleseminar. You know, whatever it is, you're actually going to have to put some work in. And if you personalize it to the individual and they get great results, then you're going to have more opportunities for different kinds of products, maybe an app, you know, maybe something like that. You know, the, the landscape is constantly changing. So it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, think about what I'm saying, whether you agree or disagree with it, and realize that change is inevitable. So you have to either work with it, make it work to your advantage, or you're just going to get crushed by it.
0: Yep, adapt or die, baby. It's just that simple. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool, man. I think that's an awesome way to wrap it up for this week. Um, I guess, as always, let's go ahead and um, dang, we didn't bring this up in the beginning. But what do you got coming up, man? Before we head out of here.
1: Yeah. What do you What do you have? Uh, let's see. I'm actually taking off to Europe tomorrow, UK. In fact, when people hear this episode, I would have already taught in West Midlands this weekend. <laughs> I'm teaching a a one-day course, the Aggressive Strength System, so it's going to be more advanced training, double kettlebell stuff, bodyweight drills, hormone lecture. And then the following weekend, May 18th, I'm teaching in Northampton. It's going to be a similar course, another part of the UK. And then in August, I will be teaching in Germany and Holland, and I'm really glad I'll be home for June and July because – I just finished a cycle of aggressive strength, my testosterone booster, and it was awesome. I gained about six, seven pounds of size, and I got leaner. So I haven't done a body fat percentage, but I'm thinking that it's definitely – Mainly muscle and strength is feeling good i'm I'm on a roll right now, and unfortunately, I'm about to leave to go teach for two weeks, so i'm about to I'm about to lose that momentum. But when I get back in June, I've got June and July where I'm going to jump on another cycle of aggressive strength, and this time, I'll make sure to do some before and after hormone testing so we can take a look at that. I mean, I've already done that before. But I want to do it again so people have an update on where I'm at right now, not a couple of years ago. Like what we're talking about, I don't want to talk about where I was five years ago. I want to talk about now. So I'm going to, do, I'm going to take my own advice and make sure I do that June and July and, and report back on the feedback. And then in August, Germany and Holland. I've got New York City in September, Vancouver, in I think November. And probably a, a few more international courses I'll be adding very soon. How about yourself? What do you have going on?
0: Well, actually, yeah. Um, by the time everyone hears this one, um, just like you, this weekend of the week of this call, this podcast right here, I'll be in Chicago teaching a new warrior complete athlete workshop with Ken Blackburn. That's going down um, May 18th and 19th, two days, in Chicago, phenomenal fitness, um, right in the heart of downtown Chicago. Um, then after that, about two weeks from that, also teaching another workshop with Ken Blackburn in New Orleans um, at Cypress Fitness. Is following a, it's going to be a day after the IKFF um, competition in New Orleans. So I'll be teaching body weight specifically at that workshop. And then after that, I'll take a couple of months off as well, and then i come back in September, have a workshop coming in clean. That's a date that we had to change, so um, that date will be pending. I believe it will be like the second Saturday in um, September. So it'll be on my website, so it'll be updated with that date. And then we have October, so I'll be teaching alongside Ken with the IKFF for a certification here in Houston, Texas at, our, at my gym. and Mike House in my gym, so we'll be teaching that. And other than that, man, just still working on um, finishing up the nutrition software program. And like I said, it's funny that you were bringing up the thing about um, – about the testosterone booster. Yeah, I'm getting ready. I'm about halfway through my cycle here. And so I'm about to wrap it up and have to take a month off. But just like you, this next time around, I'm definitely going to get my hormones tested. So I can have some markers to go along with what's happening here. just like you. I don't want to just keep, you know, going back to, you know, my numbers from like last year or the year before, but I can tell you this, you know, I did get on the scale this morning and I can honestly tell you after a cycle and a half, I am up eight pounds of muscle, nice. so pretty much the body fat has gone down as well, it's gone down about three percent and But screw the numbers let 's just talk about how I'm feeling in the gym right. It's to the point now where I have to tell myself today you will take a day off
1: <laughs> but I'm
0: constantly thinking about oh, I want to go deadlift today oh I just want to just I just want to flip tires for as many times as possible for like thirty minutes. you know just it, this is the thing these are the things that start to happen right. <laughs> you, you start you're not, instead of just always like. Oh, Man, I know I gotta go train today. Your attitude is more like, what am I gonna do today? What am I gonna do tomorrow? I can't wait till tomorrow. Oh man, I'm making progress. Wow, that was a PR. That was another PR. Did I write that down? Look back a year ago. Oh wow, look where I am now. So (laughs) that's what starts to happen, and that's when like, wow, training is fun again, and and everything becomes fun, even business. You know, just because your mind is just so boom, 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 man, you're just constantly thinking like, hey, I'm gonna start this project. I, I I think I'm gonna finally do this now. Let me go ahead and do this. Make it happen. And you're going through phone calls. You're making things happen. Next say, you know, the day is gone. But you've done a million things, and you've got it done. Your little to-do list has got a bunch of, like, lines scratched through everything. <laughs> so that's pretty much where I am now with that. So like you, man, it's like that one month off. It's like, all right, just calm down. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where I can't wait to get back on. I think I'm I'm halfway through my second week. And it's actually good timing because I'm about to take off to go teach in Europe for two weeks. I don't really mm-hmm. get a lot of workouts in in between courses, so it's not really the optimal time to take the product is when you're traveling and doing things like that. But when I get back, June and July, I'm not going anywhere, so I'm really going to crush it on training. I'm going to dial it up hardcore, and I, I can't wait. You know, June and July are going to be awesome. It's going to be really good months for some progress. But also a mutual friend of ours, CJ Swaby in the UK, he, he sent me a video testimonial on how – I the, saw that. Yeah, the prince strength testosterone booster has been working. He's been loving it, and he, he had a clip of him deadlifting 455 pounds 12 times.
0: 12 times in, like, what, a minute? Oh,
1: and I think that was his max not that long ago. I think last year he was, like, more, maybe, like, 500 pounds for a max. He was just coming off a bad back injury, and he was getting back into yeah. it. CJ's a tough guy. He's a very mentally tough guy, really good guy. But uh, what I like about CJ is he's exactly what we're talking about here. He leads from the front. So he – Oh, yeah. He's a great role model for his clients. He's not one of those guys. And you can tell just looking at CJ when you meet him. I mean, this guy's in shape and he's strong. Oh, yeah. and he looks very strong and powerful, but he backs it up. So he, that, I, I like the fact that he puts up a clip like that. Like, you know, here's where I'm at now. And I remember last year he was, he did maybe like, I think it was like four, ten, five, eight times, 10 times. And I was like, yeah. wow, that's really good. And now it's like four fifty five, twelve 12 times making it look easier than last year.
0: Oh, I know. <laughs> he was just popping it, man.
1: I was watching the clip, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, those are the kind of testimonials I love seeing. That's the kind of stuff that inspires me. I'm like, man, I need to step off my training. <laughs>
0: it's so funny. I said the exact same thing. I'm like, I'm sitting up here celebrating, you know, <laughs> just getting in the game. And I'm like, my max. I know I'm around, my one rep max is probably like 430. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, I did 405. Like, you know without any warm up, you know, like we're going to talk about that. Just some days you just want to just go in and do it. Just see if you have it, you know, no prep or anything. I got all excited by doing two reps of that. And then CJ just comes in like, boom, 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 boom. Bitch, I'm done. <laughs> I'm <just> like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I kind of set my game up. And it's not a thing about trying to compare yourself or trying to be better. It's just like, this is my friend. And this is what we do for each other. Yeah, so exactly. you surround yourself with people who pretty much pump you up to be better. Yeah. You know, they motivate you to get better. Cause the thing is, they're getting better. And the thing is, I owe it to my friends to get better and be better. So that's why I, I like the company that I keep. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I gotta say, hey man, I love the company that I had today on the show. So,
1: another <laughs> yeah, really sure. good one, man. <laughs> well, no, when you when you hang around people that are winners, you don't want to be the one guy or girl that's left behind. You know, you want to step no. it up and and take. And that's really what this show is all about. We want. If you don't have people like that in your life, we want you to be able to tune in to this show and say, man, those guys got me fired up. I like the way they talk. I like what they're talking about. And, uh, you know, as you listen to these shows, give us some ideas, give us some feedback, give us some guest ideas and so forth. We're going to do one more show like this, and then we're going to start opening it up to guests and, and really get this thing cranked out. And the show's going to evolve. It's going to get better. We're going to keep having fun with it. It's always a blast for me. I, I'm really glad we're doing this. It's a good time. So uh, make sure to check out our websites. Mine is MikeMahler.com, and you can also yep. put in kettlebellsolution.com if that's easier to remember. Either way, it'll get you to my website. And uh, yep. Sincere, I know you have a few websites. Is it newworldnewwarrior.com? New Warrior Training.
0: No, it's new warrior. new warrior Training. That's you. Pretty much find everything you need to right there. Newwarriortraining.com for me. And like I said, by the time you guys hear this podcast, you can also check out our fan page. It's Live Life. Progressively podcast so just type that in on facebook find the fan page like us share it with your friends and make you, and that's also the place you can go whether you go to our websites or to the fan page where you can post any questions show suggestions any of that we hey man shoot it our way
1: awesome well thanks again buddy we'll definitely uh talk again soon and uh yes, look forward, thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you guys soon take care take care everybody